Hello everyone and uh, welcome to the latest edition here of Brody Sports Talk. My name is Caleb Walgren. I am joined by Travis Conaway. Uh, I'm a little bit under the weather. You can probably hear it in my voice. Uh, our colleague Sean Morgan is actually out because he is worse uh, under the weather today. And uh, but Travis, how are you? How are you doing to to start today? I'm doing great. I don't have the plague that everybody else has, and so far it's avoided me. Knock on wood, and hopefully it stays that way. Because as everybody knows, I've got a really tiny human at home that I don't need getting sick. Um, I got two of them actually. Um, so hopefully uh, you guys get into feeling better, and next week we'll have a full fledged podcast and lots of energy and maybe not so. Uh, hard-hitting topics. Yeah, uh, today's episode is probably going to be a little bit more somber, just because uh, lots of sadness in the air this week. Um, The first part of that is because of a helicopter crash that happened Sunday morning on the West Coast. Um, Nine lives were lost that day, and anytime someone loses a life, especially uh, when you read about the lives of these 13-year-old girls. Um, I can speak just on behalf of Travis, Sean, and myself. Uh, we're all girl dads. Um, it, it seems miserable to think that these, these girls lost their lives so young. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just to go through the, the names of the people that were involved in the plane crash, there was uh, John Altobelli, his wife Carrie, and their daughter Alyssa. Uh, there's obviously Kobe Bryant, that's the name that everyone recognizes the fastest, uh, and his daughter Gianna, also known as Gigi. Uh, Sarah and Peyton Chester, another mother and daughter uh, for the basketball team. Uh, the other two were Christina Mauser, who is the assistant coach. Uh, I believe she was in her 30s. Mm-hmm. And Ari Zobayan, the helicopter pilot, he was only 50 as well. So when we were talking about nine lives lost and the oldest person is 50, it it just seems like it's uh, way too soon and way tragic for, for everyone. Yeah. Um, I will say when, specifically when we've heard people talk about Kobe or when we've seen the tributes, um, as a Mavs fan, I thought it was really cool that Mark Cuban said he reached out to basically some of the legends of the Mavericks, Dirk, and probably a few others, uh, like uh, Jason Kidd and Jason Terry, I think were some of the others, and they all agreed that they should go ahead and retire the, the number 24 so that no Mavs going to wear it ever again. Uh, when you saw Jay Williams give his speech about, you know, put the small stuff behind us, it's not that big of a deal. You know, we just need to love on each other. Um, it's definitely a moment of let's go ahead and refocus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think especially if you are, uh, let's say, 19 and under at this point, or you know, maybe a little bit older but wouldn't really remember 9-11, this is probably one of the largest uh, tragic deaths as far as in your face, um, especially because you see all of the teenagers that passed in it as well. Um, 
Uh, before we go into some of the best moments of Kobe's career, Travis, did you want to add anything on to that? I know it's not an easy topic. Yeah, I mean, uh, kids, uh, you know, our age, growing up, Kobe is what we remember. Um, I mean, especially um, my age, I didn't get a whole lot of time to watch uh, the Michael Jordan. Um, it was kind of the tail end of his career as I started getting into sports. Um, but Kobe was just coming into the prime. Um, and and as the NBA was in a weird spot um, when Kobe came in, he you know, he came in at the end of, or the tail end of Michael Jordan's career, um, and the NBA was looking for that, you know, that all-star, the superstar to kind of face the, you know, face of the of the league, and, and Kobe took into that role. Um, and we can talk for hours on his accolades um, and, and what he did on the court, um, but what really kind of got me in this whole situation was, um, how much influence he had throughout the world, um, and 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 not just in basketball. You know, it came out just the other day that Djokovic was he was a mentor to Djokovic, um, and just in his competitive nature and how he stays competitive constantly, and and just and to me that caught me off guard because I was like, who would have thought a a tenor, tennis player would reach out to Kobe Bryant? You know, in regards to his sport, and and just the just the massive amount of you know things he's done over the years, um, just on and off the court, um, and, and some of the people he played with and how it affected them. You know, I know still I know Chris Paul. Um, he's near and dear to all the Oklahoma City hearts. Um, he has been since he got in the league. Um, he's taken off a couple days. Um, from playing because he's dealing with it, and, and rightfully so. Um, I think the NBA has handled this extremely well. Um, you know, the, the the postponement of the LA Clippers uh, Lakers game um, that was a big deal to me because Kobe was not just a Laker; he was all of LA. Um, and whether they have two teams, four teams, one team, um, everybody in that in that uh, general area knew and loved Kobe. And so the fact that I think they made the right decision there. Um, I'm also on the um, the bandwagon of changing the logo. You know, I think if anybody's going to be the logo, I think Kobe Bryant would be a great representation. Um, and I think even Jerry West, who's the current logo, would agree. I think he would relinquish that right to Kobe in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, but like you said, we're both, we're both girl dads. Uh, just being a father in general... Um, you feel for the families, um, but being a girl dad, it's a, it's a special bond when you have, um, and I, mind you, I've only been a girl dad for five weeks, um, and the bond that I have with her is already significant and, and strong, and I can't imagine, you know, raising a daughter for 13 years, just a loser like that. Um, my hearts go out to his wife and his uh, other daughters in this situation, um, being a kid of uh, losing a parent, um, a father, especially such an early age, um, I feel for them tremendously. Uh, it's very hard, um, and I think it's going to take everybody that was a fan of Kobe, even if you weren't a fan of Kobe, um, some time to heal. And yeah. and I think the NBA is doing great, and I think they're they're doing everything they need to do to take care of it. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, 
So, uh, just to go ahead and go through these uh, best moments. Uh, these were actually compiled by Sean. So I'm kind of sad that he's not able to join us to go over these. But uh, first there was, uh, so eighth, we have the Matt Barnes fake out where he basically looked like he was going to throw the ball at Kobe's face and Kobe didn't flinch. Um, this is back video. in 2010. Um, I feel like this is one of the first videos that was like the internet was buzzing about because it was 2010 and the internet didn't know how to do that quite yet. Yeah, I feel like it was um, one of the first major gifts in the world. Um, but definitely that was that was really cool. Um, an interesting one is through three quarters, and then he got pulled because they were up so much. Uh, he outscored the Mavericks by himself in a uh, late 2005 game. What I found to be interesting about this is those are the same Mavericks that went to the NBA Finals that year. Yep. And lost to the Heat. Grr. Um... Sorry, I don't have good memories about that. Uh, through, so through three quarters, Kobe had 62, the Mavs had 61. Kobe was 18 of 31 from the floor, only four threes, and 22 from 25 from the free throw line. Apparently, we did not have anyone on the floor who could guard him that night. Uh, next, we have a segment where he had four games in a row of 50-plus points. Yeah. That, that is... It's just insane. I mean, you just don't see that. Uh, 50 plus points is... Four, one game is huge. You know, you hear players getting 40. You know, that happens all the time, especially in nowadays uh, basketball. But 50 points for four straight games is... is it's legendary. Yeah. Um, then we have uh, when he tore his Achilles, came back on the floor hit two free throws, uh, just to be able to have the perseverance to come back and be like, yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and shoot these. That's And that wasn't his only time he's done it. He's not only the free throw on the corn Achilles, but he also, I want to say it was his shoulder? Yeah, it was his right shoulder. Got hurt, went to the locker room, determined that he was not going to come back to the game. He then came back and shot the free throws left-handed. Like, just the sheer you know, perseverance is the best word to put it. And, and just the love for the game. But you're like, I don't care if I'm hurt. I'm shooting these free throws. Yeah. Um, then we have uh, game four of the 2000 NBA Finals. One of the early games in Kobe's career. And, man... Shaq fouled out in overtime. Yep. Kobe was able to go ahead and put some clutch shots in and, and get the W to go up 3-1 in the series. Uh, that was at Canseco Fieldhouse. They needed that one. Um, they would end up winning that series in six games when it finally went back to the Staples Center. That was when they were doing this old 2-3-2 finals format. And... Everyone wants to give a lot of the credit for Shaq in those years, but when the finals MVP fouls out in overtime, someone else has to do that job. Yep. Um, 
one of the games I think that everyone remembers is his 60-point career finale. Oh. It was magical. Um, I'm not even a Kobe fan, but I, I appreciated what he did. And the fact that he kind of went out and was like, you know what, this is my last hurrah. I'm going to go ahead and go big or go home. And he just took care of business. Yeah. Um, like, I, I remember someone before the game was like, hey, I think the over-under for Kobe's points is like 25. Yeah, he was on the And I was like, oh, I don't think he's going to go over that. I think yeah. he's going to be underneath. Um, yeah, I mean, he in his final season, he didn't do his normal Kobe things. He wasn't scoring a ton of points. He, you know, he was more of a facilitator and more of just a leader on the team. Um, and I'm pretty sure he was sidelined quite a bit that year anyway. So the fact that he could just turn it on on that final game and just go off for 60, and there will always be the non-believers of, oh, well, the other team wanted him to go out big, so they let him score. I'm sorry. You're a competitive person that playing at the top level, you're never going to let another player put 60 on you. And, and people say Gordon Hayward with the whole free throw um, that he stepped on the line on purpose, absolutely. I don't believe that in the slightest. Um, if honest, honestly, like, you know, as much as that is an amazing feat for him, you know, you got to remember Gordon Hayward let a guy put 60 on him. You know, he was in charge of guarding Kobe, and there's no way he's going to step on the free throw line or step over the free throw line on purpose. Yeah. Um, the next one was uh, bring the, the U.S. men's basketball team back to prominence yep. after some rough years uh, in the 2008 Olympics. Uh, they, they end up winning the gold medal game the U.S. did over Spain, 118 to 107. Uh, arguably, I mean, even since then, I don't feel like people have followed like the the Olympic basketball quite the same just because there's just not as much excitement it's oh well the men's team keeps winning again yeah that one was the key game and a lot of the you know really good NBA players were deferring to Kobe because they knew that he was going to go ahead and get it done and then, of course, the last one is what we talked about last week and this week in history. Yep. Uh, the one just over 14 years ago. Uh, the 81-point game against the Raptors. Uh, since we already dove in so much on that last week, I think I'm just going to let that be. And let's go ahead and continue. It's um, points. Like, there's just so much to say about it. Um, so, unfortunately, we have uh, other uh, sad things to remember um, I'm going to pass it to Travis so that we can uh, remember the 10. Uh, this would have been on the 27th. Yeah. Uh, was the 19-year anniversary? Uh, it's 2001, so yeah. Okay. 19 years. Um, as every one of our followers knows, and I'm a diehard OSU fan, um, and I would have to almost credit um, the, the Remember the 10 as kind of solidifying that fandom. And that fanship. Um, don't get me wrong, I'll always root for Oklahoma um, as a state, but Oklahoma State uh, as a whole will always have my heart, and, and for good reason. Um, the, the 10 that were lost in the, in the first tragic plane crash that OSU's experience was on January 27th of 2001. Um, there were 10 victims, including, I believe, two, uh, two students, uh, or two athletes, and then one student assistant. 
Um, those names were Kendall, Kendall Dufry, uh, Bjorn Falstrom, Nathan Fleming, William Hancock III, Daniel P. Larson Jr., uh, Brian Lundstra, uh, Denver Mills, Pat Noyes, William Te uh, Tegans, and, or Bill Tegans is otherwise known, uh, and Jared Weiberg. Um, you know, this, this hits close to home, uh, obviously, uh, as Oklahomans, this, this rocked us to our core, um, because it was people that, you know, we watched and we knew. Um, me personally, um, I was affected by it because uh, the name Nathan Fleming comes to mind every time I think of it. Nathan Fleming was born in Edmond. He played for Edmond North, which is down the road from my house, um, and they were our high school rivals. Um, obviously, the age difference, I was never, you know, never played against or watched Nathan Fleming. Um, however, um, I did have a special bond with him. Uh, Nathan was part of a program with the Oklahoma State basketball team that took kids who had um, experienced a tragedy at home um, kind of under their wings as like a buddy program. And I had lost my father um, not too many years before that and um, uh, due to cancer. And I was part of that program the, where OSU basketball, uh, we all kind of paired up with one. Um, and Nathan Fleming was mine. Um, Nathan was a, a very close, he wrote me letters, uh, even came and visited me at school one day. Um, very great, great human being. Um, we were invited to a big ceremony where the basketball players all had bought us, you know, a Christmas gift because they knew that, you know, in those hard times with losing family members, it's, it's hard to have a good Christmas. Um, especially for me, uh, my father died very close to Christmas. And so, um, that holiday in general is, is very hard on my family and, and the fact that they were willing to take us under the wing um, and kind of try to make that time of year a little bit more festive uh, was amazing to me. Um, and so I, I found out about the plane crash um, after school. Um, my mom sat me down and explained to me that, you know, something happened and, Nathan, and Nathan was no longer with us, um, that he went to go be with my dad. And uh, I can still remember it to this day very vividly. Uh, still brings tears to my eyes when I think of it. Um, it it's an amazing thing um, how close I grew uh, to not only Oklahoma State basketball, um, but Nathan Fleming um, specifically. Um, obviously, the other lives being lost, you had the director of basketball operations. Uh, you had Bill Teagans, who was the voice of the Cowboys. Um, previously. Um, again, a student assistant. There was a, um, there was, uh, Denver Mills wasn't even a professional pilot. He was a pilot by passion. He was just doing it because he loved to fly. Um, his real job, well, he was the CPA. And uh, you had the athletic trainer, uh, media, media relations coordinator, um, and then a corporate aviation pilot. Um, and Bjorn Falstrom, um, and then you also had the TV and radio engineer. Um, I don't know all the circumstances and what caused the plane crash, why those specific people were on a separate plane. Um, I never cared to learn that. Um, that was not what mattered to me. It was to, What mattered to me was 10 people lost their lives, um, and it's a big deal to Oklahoma State, and, and even students that come nowadays, you know, that 
weren't even born when it happened, um, it still affects them, and they still walk by the um, the head head bowed cowboy in Gallagher Iba, and, and you get chills. Um, one other thing before we uh, get into some more current sports, uh, last night. Uh, Vikings Hall of Fame defensive lineman Chris Dolman uh, passed away at the age of 58 uh, after his battle with cancer. Um, he did have 150 and a half sacks in his career. He had 22 during the 1989 season. It said he also had eight interceptions and three touchdowns. Yeah, um, that's probably career, not during that season. Yes. Um, and but he was put into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2012. Um, Uh, just people, you know, life is precious. Life is precious. You never know what's going to happen. But uh, we're going to go ahead and transition. Uh, we're going to talk hoops first today. Uh, we're going to go into some college football or college basketball. I'm so used to saying football. <laughs> um, and we're there gonna is none of that right now. We're going to be kind of looking a little bit closer at the uh, race for the regular season title in the conferences. And with that being said, we're starting with the ACC, so we're doing a Power 5, and then we'll do a non-Power 5 as well. So this week, there's really only three teams that are in the, a great shot of winning the ACC, yep. and they're the three teams that are ranked. Louisville, Duke, and Florida State. Louisville is 8-1 and one in conference. Florida State and Duke are both 7-2. and two. Uh, they all actually have the same record at 17-3. and three. And if you look at, uh, you know, Joe Lunardi's bracketology ever to see who else might make the tournament, it actually only has one other team, and they're like 67 of the 68 teams that would make it. It would be NC State just on the line. Um, that being said, let's take a closer look at some of those teams. Uh, like I said, Louisville... Uh, always a strong team, I feel like. 8-1. Uh, and one, They've won the last six games in a row. And uh, they're being led by their forward, Jordan Nora. Uh, Nora is N-W-O-R-A. He's putting up 18.7 points per game, uh, 7.3 rebounds per game, and he's shooting over 43% from three. Um their next game is coming up tonight against Boston College, which is always an exciting game. Um, Boston College is near the middle of the pack. They're four and five in conference. So they should be able to put up a, a little bit of a fight. Um, and I will say this before we go to the other two teams. Uh, North Carolina is kind of the odd one. They're 10 and 10 overall with three and six record in conference. It looks like they might not make the tournament this year. Um, it just is one of those things where you never know what's going to happen year to year. And while North Carolina is one of the teams that I think people kind of pencil in and go, well, of course they're going to be good this year. Right. Uh, they, they weren't. <laughs> um, part of that's due to injuries. Part of that's due to um, some of the recruits not playing as well as they thought. Um, Travis, why don't you go ahead and talk for a minute about Florida State. Uh, the Florida State Seminoles uh, are right there in that battle. Uh, they are 7-2 uh, in conference, 17-3 and three overall. 
Um, they they next play on the first of February against Virginia Tech. Um, again, you know the ACC is one of my favorite is favorite conferences to watch in basketball. Um, they're pretty. They're always fun games to watch and, and have some amazing memories. Um, but however, I have not watched a whole lot of the Florida State Seminoles. Um, I've honestly been kind of avoiding college basketball because OSU <laughs> fell off the face of the planet. Uh, Devin Vassell is, I think it's Vassell, uh, a sophomore. He's kind of leading the team. He's got 13 points per game, 13.1, and then uh, five rebounds a game. So he's, he's definitely, what that shows to me is that, that he's not hugely above the rest of the pack. Um, and that they've got talent all over. Um, I, I probably will end up watching the Florida State-Virginia Tech game um, if it's available here in Oklahoma. Um, but like, like you said, ACC kind of has three different people that could take over. Um, and you can never count out teams like Louisville, Florida State, Duke. Um, you know, those those teams always seem to be battling for the ACC um, and usually make a, a late tournament push, um, if not a long tournament run, unless you're Duke and you like to lose in the first round. Speaking of Duke, we'll go ahead and transition over to them. <laughs> um, they actually played last night. They beat Pitt 79-67. to um, And their best player, Vernon Carey Jr., he's a frosh, of course, Anytime you're at these big-time schools, you're looking at potentially uh, players that are going to be one and done. Yeah. Um, and they're just really good right now. Vernon Carey, uh, going into that game, had been putting up 16.9 points per game and 8.3 rebounds per game. And then last night it says he had 26. Right. So Duke is definitely someone to keep an eye out for. Um, they did have losses to Clemson and to Louisville. So Louisville not only has a one-game edge on them, but has beaten them head-to-head. And that's the only time they're going to play each other this year. Um, if I look at the rest of Duke's schedule, the other game to circle is February the 10th, which is going to be... That's going to be a Monday. Mm-hmm. Monday night game against Florida State at home. So that is probably the most exciting one left although we still have two games against North Carolina there for Duke which everyone gets excited about games versus North Carolina Uh, the other conference we're going to look at I'm going to let you start this one off with the number 7 ranked in the AP poll Dayton Flyers uh, just crushing it yeah I mean (laughs) 7-0 in the Atlantic 10 um, yes, there are other teams that could kind of compete with that. Um, I don't, I don't see it happening. Um, Obi Toppin, Topin, I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. Uh, sophomore. This is where you got to, this is what I like about these smaller conferences. Well, I say, would say smaller conferences, but these other conferences, um, and these other teams that aren't, you know, the Dukes, the North Carolinas of the world, uh, you get to see players for multiple years. Um, and uh, this guy is, is crushing it. 19 points per game, 8 rebounds. That's Those are some seller numbers, especially with your team being 7-0 and, and only 18-2. and two. Um, I'm not exactly sure um, who their two losses were. Kansas and Colorado. Okay. 
Okay. Colorado shocks me. Uh, Kansas. Colorado is ranked. They're a good team this year. Okay. Well, nobody likes them, so. No, uh, that's true. Uh, <laughs> uh, as for Kansas, I mean, Kansas is Kansas. I mean, as a Big 12 fan, we all know very much about Kansas basketball. Um, I'm excited to watch a little bit more. Uh, they play tonight. Um, I will not be able to watch that game tonight. I've got plans tonight. Um, but uh, I, I kind of hope they. I always like watching Dayton in the in the in the Big Dance because they always seem to just kind of spoil people's seasons, and I love it. That's what I love about them, March Madness. So the exciting thing, if you look at, uh, I always love looking at bracketology just to see what they could be projecting. You know, for later in the year. Right. And right now, oh, they just changed it. They have Dayton as a three seed in Cleveland. Okay. Um, but the other day they had Dayton as a two seed, and they had Ohio State as a seven seed in that region. Oh. And I was like, you don't really want that if you're Dayton? No. Because that's going to be an Ohio State home game. Yeah. But uh, having Illinois as the six seed is far better than... Yeah. But definitely... A lot of credit to Dayton, a team that people probably don't know very well. Um, um, you did mention Duquesne. I'm just going to go ahead and jump over to them real quick because they're one of the other teams in the conference that is in the race. Mm-hmm. So if five they win this, they stay in the race. And if they lose, they kind of get out of the race. Yeah, uh, five and two in the conference, 15 and four overall. Uh, Marcus Weathers is their, their best player, 14.2 points per game, 8.2 rebounds per game. Uh, he's getting it done for the Duquesne Dukes. Um, which is just really fun to say out loud. <laughs> um, Duquesne, it, it doesn't feel like things are going to stay going their way. They lost in the non-conference to UAB and Marshall. They lost to Rhode Island and Massachusetts in their last two conference games. Yeah. When you start 5-0 and in conference and then drop the back-to-back next two, that is not a good sign. Nope. Um, I will go ahead and pass it over to you, though, for uh, the Rhode Island Rams. I'm going to kind of tie both of them together, to be honest, um, because they play each other. Yeah. Uh, it's the Battle of the Rams. You know, Rhode Island Rams are 7-1. and one. Uh, Fats Russell is a junior leading the team with 19 points per game, uh, four assists, uh, and three steals, which is not a stat that usually uh, comes up. Um, but it's always fun to watch, uh, that's for sure. Um, while you got VCU, and they're coming in at 6-2 and two, uh, with Marcus Santos Silva, a uh, junior, averaging 13.2 points and 19.3 rebounds a game. Uh, they play, what is the 31st? Um, Friday. So Friday. Um, this game can go one of two ways, obviously. Um, Rhode Island Rams, they win. They kind of stick with it. They're the only ones that can really afford to lose this game. Uh, VCU, uh, they're kind of in the same boat as as uh, the Dukes. If they lose this game, they kind of slip back. Uh, they slide back, and it kind of becomes a Dayton versus Rhode Island type thing. Um, personally, I have Rhode Island winning it, um, but I could be wrong just because <coughs> I'm not all that familiar with you know this this conference, but. Uh, you know, they're both both solid squads. However, they've got to play each other eventually. Um, honestly, it's kind of at their disadvantage that they're playing each other now versus early in the season where they could make it up. Um, 
you know, being eight games in, that kind of dampers them, especially with March just right around the corner. So this is what you don't know. This is the second of their two games, conference games against each other this year. Is it? Yeah. Rhode Island won at VCU 65-56 in the earlier contest. That doesn't bode well. Um, Because this one's at Rhode Island. Yeah. Fats Russell had 16 16 points and 7 steals Mm -hmm. in that game. Jeez. 7 steals. That's intense. Um, They also, I mean, Rhode Island has always been a team, if you've seen them over the past few years, guards, guards, guards. Mm -hmm. They handle the ball so well. Um, most of the people that are from this area probably remember Rhode Island playing Oklahoma in the first round of the tournament a couple of years ago when Oklahoma had Trey Young. Yep. Um, their guards looked as good as, if not at near the same level as Trey Young for most of that game, mm-hmm. because they're just scary. Yeah. Uh, they currently, if you if you're a numbers person um, and a spread person uh, or statistics, I should say. Uh, they do have Rhode Island at a 62% favorite uh, in that game. so, And that may just be because they're at home. Okay. Well, um, that being said, that's our look at the two conferences. Uh, we went over the ACC and the A-10. Um, now let's go ahead and move over to this day in sports history. 52 years ago, God. in 1968... Billie Jean King won six one six two over Margaret Court for her thirteenth Grand Slam at the Australian Open. Jesus, um, thirteen Grand Slams is insane. <laughs> now, the other strange th- part about that is Margaret Court is the person that Serena is chasing. Mm-hmm. She has twenty four Grand Slam titles. So, if Billie Jean hadn't gone in and taken care of business, Serena might have extra work to do. Yep. She'd um, be two away instead of one. Exactly. <laughs> well, no, she'd be three away instead of one. Oh, yeah, you're right. I can't do math. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I forgive you. Um, then taking a look here, 32 years ago, Kirk Gibson signed a three-year contract with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Gross. Should have gone to San Francisco. You're just a homer. Yeah, absolutely, Um, 100%. And in general, you may be like, why are they talking about a baseball signing? This sounds like the most random thing to just mention. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Gibson hit... I want to say, arguably, the most memorable hit in baseball history. It's one of them. World Series history, for sure. Um, He was able to hit the home run. Um, I don't remember what the count was. I don't remember how many games they were in. It did say that he didn't have another plate appearance after that in the World Series, and the Dodgers beat the A's in the World Series 4-1. to But you saw him pump his fist and limp around the bases, and it's, it's a classic moment in baseball history. So they signed him today, otherwise it would have never happened. 
1995, Super Bowl 29, or XXIX, depending on how you want to call that. The 49ers went out and beat the Chargers 49 to 26. Travis, do you know where that Super Bowl was held? No. Miami. <laughs> I was four. Miami. <laughs> oh, hey. Do you know where the Super Bowl's at this year that the 49ers are in? Uh, I think it's Miami. Yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, do you think Jimmy Garoppolo will throw as many touchdowns as Steve Young did in that game? Nope. Do you know how many touchdowns Steve Young threw in that Seven. game? Seven. Six. Uh, that was just a throw throwaway guess. I mean, Steve Young was a goat. I mean, <laughs> it was a blowout. I remember watching some of that game as a child and being like, well, this game's not that interesting. Because it wasn't. Right. Um, it was just kind of a, a complete and utter blowout. Steve Young did, of course, win the MVP with that game. Yeah, that makes sense. Steve Young was why I was a 49ers fan when I was a kid. 20 years ago today, Carl Malone scores his 30,000th point, and he was the third player to get to 30K, and of course they ended up losing to Minnesota, 96-94. It's odd to me that I was alive when Carl Malone was playing, because I always think of Carl Malone as like, before my time, Um, but I was eight (laughs) when that happened. I mean, I remember the mailman. Uh, he's second in points scored, uh, currently being chased by LeBron. LeBron. Who, of course, we all know LeBron just passed Kobe. And at this point, it it almost feels awkward because he was the third person to get to 30,000. Yep. We now have seven people. Do we really? Or eight. Because... Well, it depends on if you mix the ABA in or not. So Right. But Kareem, Carl Malone, LeBron, Kobe, Michael Jordan. So Michael probably hadn't hit it yet because he was younger. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dirk and Wilt in their NBA career yeah, hit you 30K. Know, you know Dirk hadn't hit it yet. No, but Dirk has hit 30K. No, no, he hadn't. Oh, of course not. Yeah. And Kobe hadn't hit 30K at that point. Right. And neither did LeBron. Well, Just <laughs> something tells me Because he hadn't started his NBA career yeah, yet. LeBron was still... Uh, Say 2000 across to high school, wasn't he? Huh? I said LeBron in 2000. He probably would have been like a freshman, freshman. or a sophomore. Yeah. Dang, that's crazy. LeBron. Will LeBron pass the mailman? I think it'll be interesting to see. I. I think if he passes the mailman, he becomes number one. Just because it's only 3,000 points, <laughs> separating one and two. And while, you know, 3,000 points sounds like a lot, clearly LeBron James can do it. Because he was, what, the, was he the, first, the fastest or the second fastest of 30,000 in his career? Um, I don't remember. You're going to have to put, postpone that one. Yeah. Bit. Eight years ago, Australian Open final between Novak Djokovic, my boy, and Rafael Nadal. Uh, Djokovic defended the title 5 7, 6 4, 6 2, 6 7, 7 5. The 
The final took five hours and 53 minutes. Uh, the match is considered to be among the greatest in tennis history, and it was Nadal's third consecutive Grand Slam final loss against Djokovic. Yep. Also, I just have to say this, Djokovic has beaten Federer in the last five Grand Slams, and they're playing tomorrow. So, go Djokovic, beat Federer. I know that not everyone agrees. Uh, Sorry, Sean. To answer our question about fastest, I did go ahead and look it up. Uh, he was the youngest to reach 30K, but not the fastest. Uh, he beat out... Kobe was the youngest uh, until LeBron did it. Um, but he wasn't the, the the fastest to get it. Uh, I'm trying to see who the fastest was. The fastest was Will Chamberlain at nine, 941 games. That doesn't surprise me. Uh, it, took it helps LeBron, when you put up 100 in one. Right. It took LeBron uh, 1,107 games, so not even close. He would only need 300 games of 100 points in order to hit 30,000. You're not wrong. Unfortunately, that would be a lot of pictures with the 100 sign. <laughs> just the same picture over and over. <laughs> No, just get different pictures every time. <laughs> All right. Well, now we can move on into the conversation that actually surprisingly hasn't happened a whole lot this week because of the constant news uh, <coughs> um, with Eli retiring and, and the, the helicopter crash. We haven't really had a chance to talk about it. Uh, Super Bowl. Super Bowl 54, baby. Uh, it's on uh, Sunday. Is is how let's see how did the NFL want us to phrase it because they're not allowed to use in, uh, the Super Bowl Sunday because it's copyrighted. Uh, a large game on a day after Saturday. Um, <laughs> um, you know we got the Chiefs versus the 49ers. Um, we have a couple of questions that we kind of wanted to discuss with each other. Um, I'm gonna let Brody start it off. Who do you think the most important offensive player of the game, not named Mahomes? So, when I look at this game, I think Mahomes is clearly the most often, most important offensive player. I think that while you could try to debate that, you probably don't. Uh, you probably just sit here and say, yeah, it's definitely going to be Mahomes. If Mahomes has a great game, who's not penciling the Chiefs in as winners? For me, it's it's a tough one because I feel like I could pick multiple team people on the Chiefs that could have a dynamic impact. Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, McCole Hardman, a lot of speed, a lot of size. I'm actually going to go over to the 49ers. I'm going to go with insert starting running back. So at this point, I'm going to say Raheem Mostert just because that's who is most He's likely to start in my opinion but I also think that if Raheem Mostert goes out and has 150 yards and 20 carries you're not feeling good about how the, the Chiefs did mm-hmm. um, originally I was thinking about saying someone like George Kittle for this but after he only had one catch for 19 yards against the Packers I realize that they don't have to use him. They can, and if Mahomes plays really well, they'll need to. That being said, I I lean with Mostert. Who do you have there? 
I... I mean, I think each team has their player. Um, and I think you're right in the sense of Mostert is going to be the guy that they need to light up the scoreboard just like he did against the Packers. Um, which, by the way, made me a fan for life. Um, uh, but, I mean, you also could argue that Garoppolo is going to be uh, an important character. I know he's not big on and throwing and, and doesn't have to be. But, you know... The offense runs through him. Um, so, I mean, it could be anybody, but I, I think I'm going to go with uh, with uh, insert running back A. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we have the most important defensive player in the game, not named Nick Bosa. Um, this one's tough for me. I'm going to let you start this one just so that way I don't potentially steal your thunder. I'll probably pick an alternate if you have well, someone else. See... As everybody knows. Um, Travis loves offense, not defense. Yeah, defense isn't my thing. Um, and so, to be completely honest, um, he may not be the most important character, um, but he's the most intriguing to me, and that's Richard Sherman. Um, like I said, he, he may not be the most important, and that may be kind of skirting around the question. Um, but I, I kind of have enjoyed watching him kind of redeem himself um, with the with the Niners, so I, I I'm gonna go with Sherman. I'm going to stay in the secondary, but I'm gonna go with the player on the Chiefs. Okay. Tyran Divine Matthew, the honey, the honey badger. badger. Um, he probably was most memorable when he was. On the LSU Tigers, Tigers, and uh, was just crazy impactful in all phases of the game. There, uh, he was everywhere on defense, on special teams, and this is the first year that he's been a All Pro at defensive back. I I just feel like. If he has an impact on the game, it's it's going to be felt. You you almost want to just stay away from him. But I also feel like he's going to be going up against Kittle. Which is weird because he's 5'9", 185. <laughs> but he's the honey badger. He don't care. I, I definitely think that he is the player that I think could have the the biggest impact in this game. Um, so let's talk about uh, how we think each team can win for a few moments. Um, so well, I want to start <laughs> with the 49ers. So the 49ers' plan to win is score early, get ahead, Pound the ball and let your pass rushers just go crazy on that Chiefs O line. Wear them out. Just blitz, 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 blitz. With those, I mean, you don't need to blitz because you you can get pressure with those front four. Right. I think that their their objective is to get ahead and stay ahead. I have a tougher time seeing the 49ers win the game if. 
let's say the Chiefs jump out to a 14-point lead. Right. Whereas we all think the Chiefs can win if they're behind early because they were down 24 nothing to the Texans and 10 nothing to the Titans to start the playoffs. Very true. Um, do you have anything different on the 49ers, or do you want to jump over to the Chiefs? So uh, my, my answer is for both teams. Um, how each team's going to win um, just comes down to the basic, if you score more points than the other team, you win the Super Bowl. Uh, I got to say that because I knew that if Sean was sitting in that chair, he'd probably say the same thing. Um, just because that's kind of our sense of humor. Um, if you score more points and stop the other team from scoring points, you win the Super Bowl. Um, I think when it comes to the Chiefs, I think they're about scoring points. And I think when it comes to the 49ers, it comes to stopping the Chiefs from having from scoring points. Uh, this is your classic offense versus defensive battle. And, and I love it. Um, they always say defense wins championships. Let's see if the 49ers can prove it. I... For me, I think the Chiefs are going to the, – the biggest matchup for the Chiefs is red zone. Mm-hmm. If the Chiefs force field goals and score touchdowns, I don't see a way that they lose. I agree. Because – and I'm not saying you have to get all the stops. Just I'm just saying get, a, get some stops in the red zone. If if San Francisco goes out on three possessions and it's up nine nothing after three drives down the field and we're midway through the second quarter, while it feels like San Francisco has control, they don't. We know that this is going to be a to the end type of game. Yeah, and, no, I agree. And here's the next important question: Who are you more excited to see at the Super Bowl halftime show, Jennifer Lopez or Shakira? Just kidding. <laughs> Left shark. <laughs> that being said, uh, I do want to thank you all for joining us for this uh, kind of in memoriam ish type yep. episode of Brody like Sports ones. Talk. Um, yeah, we're we're all about sharing the love. So appreciate you guys listening, and uh, you have a great day. Woo!